0: Would you like to be seated? If you can, and I'm sorry that those of you that can't. Anyway, traditional Christmas. You know, what is a traditional Christmas? Well, it's interesting that the dictionary definition of the word tradition is a practice handed down from generation to generation. And that interests me because like Chinese whispers, the things that... As things are handed down from generation to generation, they change. And we look around at our traditions at Christmas, and we see the crib, the trees, the presents, the greens, the lights, the carols. However, most of these are Victorian inventions from Europe from the 19th century. Christmas trees, for example, only really became popular in the 19th century after German aristocrats started decorating fir trees in their homes. And the first Christmas card was sent in 1843 and was only made popular by Queen Victoria. And, you know, all very modern. There's an idea that says that no one can make a tradition. It takes a century to make a tradition. So tonight, we're going to have traditional Christmas carols and readings of the story of the birth of Christ. But we're also going to hear of other Christmases and traditions that existed for other people. And I'm going to begin, I've got some props, by the way, so um, I'm going to begin with an 18th century prop, and I hope this doesn't set far to the set. It won't. No, there we are. And I'm going to begin with a short passage from Charles Lamb's diary from the 18th century, celebrating Christmas at Christ's Hospital, which was a boarding school, and the children had to be at the boarding school during Christmas. Let me remember the festivities when at school over a Christmas tide in 1784, when the richest of us would club our stock to have a gaudy day, sitting round the fire, replenished to the height with logs. And the penniless, and he that could contribute nothing, partook in all the mirth and in some of the substantialities of the feasting. The carol sung by night at that time of year, which when a boy I have so often laid awake from seven, the hour of going to bed, till ten, when it was sung by the older boys, and have listened to it in their rude chanting, till I have been transported to the fields of Bethlehem.
1: The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. For us to a child is born. For us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.
0: Thanks, Will. Now, that's the Old Testament tradition of light, light coming into the darkness. And before the time of Christ... This time of year was always one where people started to look towards the light, look towards spring from that place of darkness. Now, who can tell me when you think the the first time Christmas was ever celebrated on December the 25th? Anybody, any ideas? The first time Christmas was celebrated on December the 25th was 336 AD. The Emperor Constantine decided, that's how it began, the tradition, that that was the date of Christmas. And we think that he decided it because either it was the winter solstice or it was one of the Roman pagan festivals that happened at the same time. And he wanted to actually have the same festival happening at the same time as the old pagan festival. But by uh, 336, the West started to do it on December the 25th. And the birth of Jesus was celebrated then. But interestingly enough, the Eastern Orthodox Church celebrates Christmas on... January the 7th, thank you very much you. January the 7th. There are no prizes tonight, unfortunately, but January the 7th. Now, T.S. Eliot, another tradition, told the story of the birth of Jesus from the Magi. And I have my prop here, which is actually here, from the point of view of the Magi. And this is the poem, um, The Journey of the Magi by T.S. Eliot. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of year for a journey. And such a journey, the ways deep, and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter, and the camels galled, sore-footed and refractory, lying down in the melted snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on the slopes, the terraces, the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away, and wanting liquor and women, and the night fires going out, and the lack of shelters, and the cities hostile, and the towns unfriendly, and the villages dirty, and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it, and at the end, we preferred to travel at night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that all was folly. Then at dawn, we came down to a temperate valley, wet below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a watermill beating the darkness, and three trees on a low sky. An old white horse galloped away in a meadow. And then we came to a tavern with vine leaves on the lintel, six hands at an open door, dicing for pieces of silver and feet kicking the empty wineskins. There was no information, and so we continued, and arrived at evening not a moment too soon, finding the place, as you might say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago, I remember, and I would do it again, but set down this, set down this, Were we led all that way for a birth or a death, There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I'd seen birth, and it was bitter and hard agony for us, like death. It was like our death. We returned to our palaces, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation, with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. No trees there, no cards, just a simple story. This is a First World War jacket that was actually worn in the First World War. And it really makes the point that Christmas comes at inconvenient times during wars and oppression and difficulty. And even as we speak, there are people in terrible situations in Aleppo. And yet, often during that time the Christmas spirit does come through. And I think that's interesting, that whatever's going on, there's something that happens. And I'm going to read you an account now from 1914 on Christmas Eve. This is written down at Christmas Eve by um, a captain. And this is his um, story of what happened on that Christmas Eve. I've just been through one of the most extraordinary scenes imaginable. Tonight is Christmas Eve, and I came up into the trenches this evening for my tour of duty in them. Firing was going on all the time, and the enemy machine guns were at it hard, firing at us. Then, at about seven o'clock, the firing stopped. I was in my dugout reading a paper, and the mail was being dished out. It was reported that the Germans had lighted their trenches up with fir trees all along the front. We'd been calling to one another for some time, Christmas wishes and things. And I went out and they shouted, no shooting. And then somehow the scene became a peaceful one. All our men got out of the trenches and sat on the parapet. The Germans did the same. And they talked to one another in English and broken English. I got on top of the trench and talked to a German. Then the Germans began singing Stille Nacht, Silent Night, and our men joined in and each side clapped and cheered. Then Pope and I walked across and held a conversation with the German officer in command. One of his men introduced us properly. He asked my name and then presented me to his officer. I gave the latter permission to bury some German dead who were lying between us and we agreed to have no shooting until 12 midnight tomorrow. We talked together. Ten or more Germans gathered around, and I was almost in their lines, just within a yard or so. Then we wished one another good night, and a good night's rest, and a happy Christmas, and parted with a salute, and I got back into my trench. I allowed one or two men out to meet the Germans halfway. They exchanged cigars and a smoke and talked. The officer I spoke to hoped to We shall all do the same on New Year's Day. And I said, yes, if I'm here. I felt I must sit down and write the story of this Christmas Eve before I went to lie down. Of course, no precautions are being relaxed, but I think they mean to play the game. All the same, I think I should be awake all night just to be on the safe side. It's weird to think that tomorrow night we should be hard at it again. If no one gets through this show, it'll be a Christmas time to live in one's memory, the German who sang had a really fine voice. I'm just off for a walk round the trenches to see that all is well. Good night. It's so poignant. And so now we're going to sing the actual same song that they sang in the trenches, Stille Nacht, Silent Night. So um. We're going to now light our candles. This will take a little bit of time because we're going to light them from each other. So if the candle lighters from the back of the room could start coming round. Now, I just want to say um, uh, we have done a risk analysis of this, obviously. And uh, if you could just look in front of you and see if you think the person in front of you is wearing lacquer in their hair. <laughs> if they are, it is guaranteed that the lacquer will be flammable. So please keep your candles uh, away from that. Um, also, what I'm going to ask you to do is just to be aware, if you've probably seen these nice new chairs that we've got, and if you could just keep the wax off these nice new chairs, once you get your candle lit, if you've got a match w- with you, you can light your candle from where you are. They're not special, the flames we're handing around. Um, and you are just going to light all the candles now. If we can come round this side and light these candles, that would be great. And just pass the light along uh, as we go. And of course, these candles represent the candles of peace. Do feel free to talk among yourselves. <laughs> 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 I'll do the other help and say to it keep your candles on you afterwards and, uh, and then hand them in at the end. Go backwards and just share those candles. Okay, let's get the lights (laughs) down. How are we doing? Any area not got their candles lit? Put your hands up. Pretty much all lit now. Let's stand and sing Silent Night. And as we do, let's just remember those people in difficult situations of war that we pray that through this, peace may break through in those situations. So as we stand with these candles lit, we stand with all who stood before in the name of peace and fellowship of men and women. Let's put out our candles now. And if you'd like to have a seat and um, keep your candles upright, just so that the wax will, uh, all these logistics, I'm afraid. Yeah. And keep hold of them, because we'll, we'll hand them in at the end. Michael Eisner going to come and read our first, uh, second reading from Luke. Here we are, Michael.
1: St. Luke tells of the birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went... and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no more room in the inn. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you, Michael. So we're just going to say some prayers now. Ready to pray for the world. And the tradition's being celebrated everywhere at this time of Christmas. Churches all over the world, people like us sitting together. So Lord, let's just first pray for the trouble spots of the world, particularly thinking of Aleppo, those affected by that situation. Germany, those affected from the Christmas market. Mexico, the explosion at the fireworks market. And all those who are in war zones, in prison, in difficulty, we pray for them. We pray also for those who have no one to pray for them. We pray for the lonely, the hungry, and those who have no tradition of joy at Christmas. We pray for ourselves, for our town here in Aspen and the Roaring Fork Valley, people working people visiting the town, all of us coming together at this moment. And let's also think of someone that we know that needs prayer and comfort at this moment. Just in your own minds, think of someone that you know that needs prayer and comfort at the moment. And let's send them our love at this time. I'm especially thinking tonight of Charlie and Nancy Mitchell of Minneapolis and their family who are not able to be. They've been here for 32 years in a row at this service and for various reasons they weren't able to be here tonight. And we do wish them all the best. Lord, we just pray for all those that we've thought of and mentioned today. Ask your blessing upon them. Amen. Well, at least someone knows the desk can. Thank you very much for that. Let's have a seat, everybody. (laughs) Good. Now, Leanna Jenkins is going to come and read uh, the next reading.
2: The angels appeared to the shepherds, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. Thanks be to God. So
0: I have a tiara for my next prop. <laughs> which I will put here, rather than yours, because I'm going to read an extract from Noel Coward's diary for Christmas 1955, in Beverly Hills. (laughs) This is Noel Coward. In the middle of it again, this house is really very nice, and I have a dusky Jamaican lady to look after me who is lackadaisical and hums constantly. There have been a series of parties as usual. Each one is indistinguishable from the other. Culminating last night in Humphrey Bogart's Christmas Eve Revel, which was such great fun and highly glamorous to the eye. The Christmas shopping has been frantic as usual. We had a successful play reading at the Bogarts last night, and everybody read very well. Lauren Bacall will be good, I think. Anyway, she is word perfect, which is wonderful considering she's shooting a picture until yesterday. I've acquired some nice Christmas loot. Exquisite gold and ebony mammogrammed links from Frank Sinatra. And a lovely black dressing gown and pyjamas to match from Marlena Dietrich. And handworked bedroom slippers from Merle Oberon, which are charming. A lot of other nice gifts, too. But oh, I do wish Christmas hadn't coincided with Blythe's spirit. There is so much to be done, and it seems so little time to do it in. So I think for Noel, Christmas was pretty incidental uh, to what was going on in his life. And, you know, what we're doing here is looking at the tradition of Christmas. So given that tradition is that which is handed down from generation to generation, the question I want to ask is, What has been handed down? What is handed down? Well, obviously we have all the stuff that is Christmas, the story, the trees, the presents, the carols, the feeling, the wants and the desires and the expectations and the disappointments. All that we know as the modern Christmas. Christmas, Christ mass, literally the Mass of Christ. And, you know, I don't know if you know, but the word Mass comes from... Mass is Holy Communion in a Catholic sense. And the word comes from... The reason it's called a Mass is because at the end of that particular service, the Eucharist, it, it ends with the Latin words, ite missa est. And that's the dismissal. Literally, go, it has been sent. And as people heard missa est, Mass, miss, ma-, and it became known as... The Mass for that reason. So, this is Christ Mass. Literally, Christ is being sent. And so, in those terms, the idea that's handed down is the idea of Christ coming into the world. It is the acknowledgement of the divine in each one of us. And it's because of that essence that we're here today. You know, trees, presents, and carols would not have lasted 2,000 years. But there's something underneath all of that, and it's that that really resonates. A German mystic, Meister Eckhart, said, What good is it to me if the Son of God was born to Mary 1,400 years ago, but is not born in my person, in my culture, and in my time? Now, in the tradition of the Russian Orthodox Church, when you have those icons, you always have Jesus, and he's got... Two fingers up like that. Now, it doesn't mean he was at Woodstock, (laughs) although he probably was. Now, what that means when, when you see Jesus like that in the icons, it means it's meant to represent that Jesus has two natures, human and divine, two natures. That's what he's saying. And the idea that I like to hold on to, the idea that I have is that Jesus, when he came, you know, all this stuff, He didn't come to be worshipped as God. I don't think Jesus came to be worshipped as God, but I think he came to show us our own potential, the human potential, to show us that we too have two natures, one human or material, and one that is divine, and that the true potential of humanity is those expressions of both those natures, human and divine. That's what it means to be a human. Each of us, you know, we're all part animal. And, you know, what makes us truly human, according to Jesus, was the expression of the divine within the animal that is us. Each of us has a little bit of God within us. And to be truly human, we have to bring that out. You know, you say, well, how do I do that? Well, the divine or God, you know, if you look look through it, really is love. And therefore, unless love is a part of our lives, then we still essentially are just operating on an animal level. That's what differentiates us between an animal and a human being, is the presence of love in our lives. Because it's not money that makes the world go round. It's love. You know, like a fish in an ocean, we live in a sea of love, you know, whether we realize it or not you know, love is what gave us our lives, love is what keeps us going, you know, that divine order is what upholds the universe. And if you've got a better idea of what upholds it, I mean, no one knows. You know, and the self-givingness of love, the order that's behind that goodness seems to me a good enough thing to be behind it all. And the tradition of Christmas, which is handed down, is the knowledge of that love that Jesus brought. And you know, two great commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself. You know, love's in there. You know, his life showed us how to love and he demonstrated it. And if you want to know what love is, you know, this is what it says in Corinthians. Love is patient. It's good to have a little tick box in our own minds as to how, this, how we match up to this, right? right? Particularly on Christmas Day when we're cooking. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And here's the cruncher. Love never fails. That is how we become truly human. That tradition of love is at the essence of it all. So maybe this Christmas, let's look I'm coming to the end so you don't have to panic. I'm not I'm not going to So we're coming to the end. let's look at how much love we can bring into our lives how much love we can bring into our lives and the lives of all those who are around us by being patient and kind, by not envying or boasting or dishonouring others, not being self seeking, not being easily angered, by keeping no record of wrongs, not delighting in evil, but rejoicing in the truth protecting, trusting, and hoping. Because if you do this, you can't fail. You will be safe. You can't fail. You will be safe. And that is the meaning of salvation, that place of safety in love.